0: The Ark is somewhere very safe. From whom? The Ark is a source of unspeakable power and it has to be researched.
1: And it will be, I assure you, Dr. Brody, Dr. Jones. We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top
2: men. An archeologist searches for the lost Ark of the Covenant, hoping to prevent it from falling into the hands of the Nazis. Special guest Matt from Good Movie, Bad Movie, and season 14, Time for a Podcast, joins us to discuss what it really looks like when someone's face melts off, when sliders went off the rails, and we debunk the Big Bang Theory's theory about this movie. Then us top men find out if Raiders of the Lost Ark stands the test of time.
1: It's the test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says, gladiator with the glut. And Alan
0: says, as a father, blah, blah.
1: It's the test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time. James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today?
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of The Test of Time. We're going to be talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm James Brief, and with me, as always, is my podcast host, Alan
2: Noah. Al, how are you? I am doing very well. I am very, very, very excited. And to talk about this epic movie, we have a very special guest, our friend Matt from Season 14 Time for a Podcast. And a new podcast that we're going to talk about in a second. Matt is back on the show. Matt, welcome. Thank you for joining us again. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, especially for this movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, the last time you were here, you talked about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Before that, The Iron Giant. And after we were recording, you said, oh, there's other movies I'd like to talk about. You sent a list, and Raiders of the Lost Ark was on it. I had this idea that for, you know, the the new Indiana Jones movie coming out, we should do a trilogy about the original Indiana Jones trilogy. And we would do each episode with a different guest. Yeah, I'm really, really glad that you were able to join. And um, since that last episode, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, you started a new podcast. And it's great. And I also think that, like, there's probably some overlap for people who listen to this show who would enjoy Good Movie, Bad Movie. That's the name of your new show. But tell our listeners about this new podcast.
1: Yeah, so ever since I uh, had left the Time Shifters podcast, which is still going and it's still a great show with Christopher and Tom, I didn't want to stop talking about movies, but I had to stop because I needed to kind of, like, pull back on some different things I was doing and give myself some more free time. But I kind of kept having that itch to like talk about movies and like going back to Time Shifters and doing a guest spot and doing the guest spot with you guys didn't help keep that itch down. (laughs) It only made it worse. (laughs) So I held off as long as I could. And then my friend Allie, who I met doing season 14 time for a podcast, she loves movies. And I came across this book. At a bookstore called The Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, which apparently has been out for like 20 some odd years. And like it gets like a new version every couple of years. And I'm flipping through it. I'm like, these really are like some of the greatest movies ever made. I wonder if anyone's done a podcast on it. And someone had, but after like 40 or so episodes, they stopped. What a quitter. Right. So I threw the idea at her. I was like, hey, would you want to, like, make a podcast around this idea? And then we kind of kept throwing ideas back and forth because I wasn't, like, fully committed to it. And we kept coming up with this idea, that idea. What if it was like this? And then the other thing that she and I have in common is we both love to watch absolutely terrible movies. I mean, like, Bottom of the Barrel, you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Birdemic (laughs) Shock and Terror. We love that kind of garbage. And... I was like, okay, what if we combined these two ideas of like going back and forth of watching some of the greatest, most influential, highest rated movies ever made, and then paired one with the exact opposite, and we found a way to make them relate, and then we Mm -hmm. determine, do they hold up as a good movie or a bad movie? It's a fantastic idea, and the show
2: is really good. It's really entertaining. I feel like I should mention that in the Everything Everywhere All at Once episode and your back to the future episode your co-host Allie used the phrase test of time she did. so I have to inform her via you that she owes us a nickel okay uh, it's actually 5 cents for each usage of the phrase but i'm giving her a pass for one so uh if she could go ahead and send us that nickel we would appreciate
1: it it's in the mail Uh, the the thing is as we were coming up with it i even said like you know there's this other podcast that i've been on they kind of do this similar concept but we were talking about it and i kind of came to the conclusion of like what separates our show and our idea from your show is that like you guys are really good at looking at a movie And there are times where you guys have said, oh, we really like this movie. It does not stand the test of time. You can be entertained by it, but it it could still be a movie that doesn't hold up as as time has gone on. Whereas ours is kind of like the opposite. Whereas like it's fully 100% our emotions. Like we could look at a movie and be like, it doesn't matter if it holds up or not. Because there will be movies that come down the line that I know are on the good list that I'm going to say are bad movies that are going to get people to like throw tomatoes at me or something.
2: Right, right. I also love how your guiding philosophy is that if there's any like middle of the road movies, Hard pass.
1: Yeah. There will be exceptions. There's actually going to be one coming up in a bit, but we're gonna try to avoid that. We're gonna try to avoid those like movies rated between like forty and seventy some odd percent. We want like this end or that end. How many films are in it? A thousand and one? Well, it was a thousand and one is in the book, but like the book's gotten updated. So like the full list that have ever been in the book are like twelve hundred plus. 1,200. So we took that whole list, we've added our own to the list. And then we had to come up with our own bad list on our own. So, like, we were just, like, looking through, like, what are 0% on Rotten Tomatoes? What are the worst movies ever made? What is, like, the entire catalog made by Ed Wood? Like, now we have over 800 after, like, working on that list. Right, wow. I, I, you know, it
0: should be interesting though, because uh, you know we've done. Uh, I, I believe this is episode three hundred sixty-three. So mm-hmm. just doing uh, you know one movie uh, around one movie each episode. Uh, we're only a third of the way or so through a thousand and one, and that's only <laughs> the, uh, the the good side. So You have plenty of material there. But what will be interesting, and what's surprised us, is when there's some films and probably a film or two that's in that book of amazing films that are just absolute stinkers. Yes. so that will be interesting when you're like oh, one the best picture like I, we just hated it you know or sometimes you're like, I get why this was good, but uh, not anymore. Or on the other hand, you might uh, start shopping for bad movies, you know, with the, uh, the the Golden Raspberries, you know, the Razzie Awards. And, uh, you know, maybe you pair the best picture with the worst picture or something like that. But um, uh, you might find, hey, you know, this movie wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, Grease 2 or whatever. You know, I, I've never seen it, but apparently Grease 2 has its defenders. You know, there's always uh, people that like the films that are supposed to be bad. And I certainly like a few. Al has gotten mad at me for liking a few of those. But uh <laughs> that's always the, the interesting part for me, when it's a surprise.
2: Yeah. And I'm not just saying this because you're here, Matt. It is a very entertaining show. You and Ali have great chemistry. Your episodes are really entertaining. I don't say this to insult you, James, at all. I'm not saying it in that way. I'm saying this as a compliment to you, Matt. The Marty Prime. A theory that you have james about uh you know how in back to the future the marty we see is the first marty i know that theory of yours james because you've explained it to me a million times just in life not even on the podcast it's very hard to explain matt explains it like perfectly in i'm gonna say 60 to 75 seconds it's brilliant <laughs> it's a, it's a re- he handles it really really well so it's just, you know, you you have a lot of really interesting stuff in there. You explain it. Your passion for the movies really comes through. And I highly recommend that all of our Test of Time listeners subscribe to Good Movie, Bad Movie. Very entertaining show. Oh, thank you. And in your Back to the Future episode, Matt, you said something that I found really interesting about your relationship with Back to the Future and also with Indiana Jones. And that was about how you don't really have a memory of seeing it for the first time
1: can you explain that uh for our listeners yeah I grew up in New Jersey, um, probably not far from you guys. So I used to watch uh Pix Eleven New York, like every Saturday and Sunday. And oh, yeah. they had this batch of like a few dozen movies that just looped every weekend. Like, you know, they they pick like three or four out of that like few dozen. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, the Christopher Reeves Superman movies, the Michael Keaton Batman movies, Willow. Mm-hmm. Like these movies were just on. Like one of these movies was on like every weekend. And I always watched them yes but to be fair they were not all classics they were not all classics it was what they could afford the the stuff i remember watching was the stuff that was good so yeah indiana jones all three of them are among those movies that i probably anytime it was on like saturday or sunday i watched it so i've probably seen raiders three four dozen times easy And like you you were saying how
2: like you don't even really remember the first time because like how can you identify it because you've seen it so many times and I've done that like with my kids like where they don't maybe really remember the first time they saw Star Wars and you know Indiana Jones and Back to the Future because I started showing it to them so young so it's just kind of like a thing that they'll remember As always having been there, as opposed to, you know, someone watching it for the first time when they're in their teens or 20s or later, you know, then they're going to remember that first time. And I don't know that one way is better or worse, uh, but it's just it's just interesting, you know, like that for some people, these movies are just so ingrained in our DNA, you
1: can't even think of life before you'd seen the movie, you know? Exactly, yeah. And and to me, there's just like a nice comfort to it. And especially since it's like these movies, like some of these movies that like, no one is going to argue their greatness. Like some people might not like it. It might be not their kind of movie, but nobody's going to come along and be like, that movie didn't change cinema. Yes, yes, they did. (laughs) I remember Temple Doom first. Uh,
0: I may have seen it, in the theaters with my brother and sister. This is before my uh, younger sister was born, but um, I definitely, uh, definitely rented it from the local video store uh, that, that I remember. And Raiders of the Lost Ark was the, uh, the, the the later. I think I saw it later than that, but but they all kind of blend it together. And then, of course, uh, Last Crusade. Probably all three of us saw in the theaters that summer.
2: From what I can remember from my. Viewings of the PIX Saturday, Sunday afternoon movies, I think Temple of Doom was on more than the other indie movies, at least in my head or at least just at my grandma's house or wherever I was watching it. So I think I'd probably seen Temple of Doom more, but... When we were emailing about doing this podcast, Matt, you had said, oh, hey, did you know that Raiders is being re-released in theaters? And I am so, so very grateful that you said that because I hadn't heard that. I hadn't seen that on Facebook or anything. And pretty much right away when I saw your email, I bought tickets. Yeah. Because I don't think I'd ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater. I know it had been re-released a couple of times Maybe I did when I was a kid. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that. So I took the kids. We went and saw Raiders on the big screen. I'm 43 years old. That was the first time in my life I ever saw the movie on the big screen. It was amazing. I'm really, really grateful that you mentioned that because uh,
1: that was a really fun time. Yeah. The moment I saw it, I bought my ticket. Then I emailed you guys. And I was just (laughs) sort of like, this is a perfect excuse to rewatch. It's perfect timing. Just from the moment the movie opened to when the, the credits just started rolling. Just such a great time. And yeah, this was my first time seeing it in the theater. Very cool. But James, why don't you just give a synopsis of this movie for
2: anyone listening who hasn't seen it, the odds of that seem low, but you never know. There could be someone out there who hasn't.
0: Well, I think more likely the odds are people kind of maybe confuse the Indiana Jones films. And uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, sometimes called today Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, This is the film uh, about archaeologist Indiana Jones and his quest to find the legendary Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis do. And the Ark, according to legend, it contains the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from from Mount Sinai, and an army that carries the Ark of the Covenant is invincible. Indiana's quest first brings him to Marion Ravenwood, a former lover and the daughter of his mentor. Indy and Marion travel then to Egypt, where the Nazis already have been digging for the Ark, and it's led by Indy's rival, Belloc. But Indy, he winds up finding the Ark using his knowledge of archaeology and with some help from Marion and his friend Sala. But ultimately, the, the Nazis take possession of the Ark and they open it. But don't worry, their faces melt off. It's really cool.
2: (laughs) Ha! Take that, you dumb Nazis. Well, only one face melts
0: off. One explodes and one is imploded. But um, this film, as you just mentioned, I mean, it was just released uh, on June 4th, 2023, as far as I can tell, for the fifth time in the theaters. But the film originally released on June 12th, 1981, and it opened at number one with $8.3 million And uh, the next weekend, it wound up being beaten by Superman 2, which is, you know, understandable at the time. But it was also beaten the next week by another huge 80s series that is completely forgotten today. We'll we'll review the first film in this series, but it's a cross-country driving film. Do do either of you know what that's referring to? In the early 80s, 1981— no. I can't think of anything. All right. So here's a hint. So who was famously almost cast as uh, Indiana Jones before Harrison Ford? Tom Selleck. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Tom Selleck. I wonder if you're like me, who in the 80s did you always confuse Tom Selleck oh, with? Oh, was it Smokey and the Bandit? Um, The other one. It's the other Burt Reynolds driving series. It's a series called The Cannonball Run.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So, uh, yeah, that wound up beating Indiana Jones the next weekend. But uh, which one wound up having at least five re-releases all the way through 2023? Yeah. You know, Raiders of the last act. Exactly. And uh, it wound up uh, grossing $248 million domestically, number one of the year, uh, $389 million worldwide. I, I mean, it goes without saying this was a worldwide smash. Spielberg uh, had. Done it again. He had had Jaws, and he had Colson Counters, and now he has yeah, Raiders. And not only Spielberg, but his buddy um, George Lucas. I mean, this guy's the golden boy, not just Star Wars. And uh, by then, Empire Strikes Back, and now Raiders. But he had uh, started with, of course, um, American Graffiti. Yeah, the THX THXian, the little film, but uh, he had a you know critical hit. So we're watching these guys at the budding of,
2: you know, Hollywood dynasty. And this movie was the first time that Spielberg and Lucas worked together, which was the dream team, you know? Like, it seemed almost inevitable, and looking back at it now of, like, we can have the perspective of, like, of course, you know, Spielberg and Lucas would work together. Why wouldn't they? And they were buddies, and, you know, there's a whole legend of how this character was created and Lucas was kicking around the idea in the early seventies around the time of American graffiti. Then he went to Hawaii when star Wars came out because he wanted to be away from Hollywood. He thought star Wars would bomb. He's on the beach talking with his buddy, Steve, Steven Spielberg. And he's like, Hey, I've got this idea for a movie about an archeologist. It's adventure and history and all of these things. And it took a few years for them to make it happen, but they did. And, it's a story that is kind of legendary in Hollywood. I knew all of that just by being a, a movie nerd. You know what I didn't know, but I found out from uh, doing some research today. Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote this movie and wrote Empire Strikes Back and countless other movies you know, over the years, he wrote this first. This is like his first major screenplay. Even though Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980 and Raiders came out in 81, he turned in his first draft for this movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, first. Like, that's crazy. That is an amazing feat.
0: Um, Spielberg has famously said his dream has always been to direct a James Bond. Uh, It's just something he's always wanted to do. And he was like, I want you to sign on, and it's going to be a three-picture deal. And uh, uh, Spielberg, he didn't really want to do it. He said, I really want to do James Bond. And Lucas says, this guy's better than James Bond. Do you know the original name for Indiana Jones? Indiana
1: Smith. Yeah,
0: Indiana oh, Smith. Right. Like, it was supposed to just be, you know, this everyday guy, you know, everyday last name. And Spielberg famously didn't like the name Smith, so he's like, how about uh, Jones? And he's like, yeah, all right, that works. <laughs> and, you know, it just clicks there. But it's interesting because um, Lucas envisioned this guy who was an intellectual. He wasn't Han Solo. He was an intellectual. He was a professor and, uh, you know, had this kind of uh, this sophisticated whip. It's kind of uh, interesting. While Spielberg originally had him a little bit more of a, as a brute and uh, a little more James Bond-like. And the Spielberg wanted to actually make him an alcoholic. Uh, there's a part where Jones thinks that Marion is dead, and he's totally uh he's you know drowning his sorrows in alcohol
1: yeah i I was reading that too that Spielberg wanted him to be more of like an alcoholic and a gambler, and Lucas kind of like put his foot down and said, no, because I want him to be a role model. Exactly. I I mean,
0: the character of Indiana Jones single-handedly made people think uh, they want to be archaeologists. And, you know, then it became uh, 40 years of archaeologists being like, whoa, 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 this is not what archaeology is. And once in a while, there's an article about like a real life Indiana Jones of some guy (laughs) that does go into the jungle and, you know, tries to get these uh, treasures out of uh, these areas before they're destroyed. And it was so a very smart decision to make him uh
1: an intellectual guy yeah i agree because because you know they were going back and forth about how they wanted this character to be and everybody kind of like contributed between lucas spielberg and kasdan and they agreed all right he needs to be a tough guy but it needs to be intellectual he also needs to be vulnerable he needs to have his faults but we also want him to be comedic and harrison ford is one of the few actors at that time who could portray all those things on screen at once right his comedic timing i think is one of the most underrated things about him as an actor he's hilarious yes that is a
0: very good point right and it wouldn't have really worked if uh steve martin was cast as the uh the guy that could beat up the nazis even though right. it would be funny
1: <laughs> he would have been funny but you would have been like i don't think you can throw a punch sir
0: right right absolutely You know, we're not going to go scene by scene, but a scene that just absolutely has to be discussed is the opening scene. I mean, it's got to be one of the best opening scenes in motion picture history. It just sets the stage. It basically says these 10 minutes are basically what you're going to see for the next two hours. It's fantastic practical effects. It's got a little, uh, you know, a little... A small appearance by the future, uh, very famous Alfred Molina.
2: Right. I forgot that he was in this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's great. I think the real star of this scene is, uh, in my opinion, John Williams. Because it's just so perfect. Even right now, in your minds, you can hear that high tension just as Harrison Ford is kind of trying to pick up the idol. And he's really nervous. And it's really high tension. And then... You could hear the rumbling, and then suddenly the uh, boulder. It all goes to the John Williams soundtrack. It's just brilliant. It's perfect. It could almost be a silent film. The, uh, it could almost be
1: silent without talking, the opening scene. I mean, the opening scene practically is a silent film. There's very, very little dialogue in it. It's just the moving around. You hear just enough of the guys being like, oh, we've been tracked for three days. No, we'd be dead. Like, Indy doesn't speak until they get to the front of, like, the cave. And then he only says a couple of words after that. Right. You know what I didn't remember about this part
2: of the movie? The rolling boulder is only on screen for like 15 seconds. I know because I timed it. Like (laughs) I think part of my confusion about that is that I was conflating in my head the actual Raiders of the Lost Ark scene with the opening for UHF which is another movie that I've seen a gazillion times because I love Weird Al. And the gag in UHF is that the boulder just keeps following George Newman, the Weird Al character. And oh, it's like, yeah. you know, the the green screen behind him and he's in the snow and he's in the desert and he's in the city and everything. That's the gag that it just keeps going and going and going. But in Raiders, it's really quick. And I think that's almost more impressive that that boulder is on screen for 15 seconds and then you know Indy dives and then he's surrounded by belloc and his henchmen but like for someone out there who's never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark you know that that boulder chases Indiana Jones like that is famous forever
0: well it's famous forever because it's it's going to hold up that scene forever it's all practical effects everything from the spider webs to the, the you know the boulder, it, of course it's you know uh, forced perspective and all this stuff. There wasn't an actual huge boulder rolling behind Harrison Ford. Everything about it, from the arrows and the whip and the swing over a crevice, all of that stuff is practical effects. And you could see Alfred Molina. You could watch like look at what the the makeup did very well. You could see like spikes going through his neck. It's just done perfectly. It's gonna hold up forever because it's never really gonna look bad and my opinion
1: they never wasted a single frame with this movie because right from the paramount logo to it fading out to the mountain in the background just tells you you're you're in for something different you're in for something special because like i've never seen a movie do that of like let's take the company logo and find a way to put it in the movie almost
2: Yeah, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing that blew my mind as a kid. That is a staple throughout the Indiana Jones movies. I wonder about that with the new movie because the new movie is under Disney and not Paramount. So... I guess that gag won't be there, but apparently that's something that Spielberg used to do like when he was a kid, when he was like making movies on his handheld camera, he would do that where he would try to make a mountain or something be like the Paramount logo, and he hadn't apparently done a Paramount movie before this, so this was his chance to do that for real, and it is perfect, it is brilliant.
1: Perfect time for him to use it. Um, But James, you said that you think like the big star of the movie is John Williams. I would put forward the cinematographer Douglas Slocum, who I just found out throughout the entire duration of this movie's production did not once use a light meter on (laughs) purpose. You know, I agree with you completely. Uh, When I was just talking about the opening
0: scene and in the swinging over the uh, crevice, I was just picturing in my head the camera angle is from below and you see him looking up. And it's just an artistic uh, choice. But had they not shown that shot, it it looks like just, you know, kind of a wussy little, uh, you know, a jump that I I guess, you know, it, it looks kind of far. But, oh, man, it looks like, you know, certain death when you fall down there. So, you know, choices like that are wonderful. You know, uh, tot he's, uh, he's the really scary German guy, the one whose face melts at the end. A lot of his camera angles are from below, which are really scary because that guy is terrifying. And uh, I agree with you. The cinematography is wonderful in this film.
1: Yeah, when I was watching it in the theater, I kept saying to myself over and over, and I lost count, was I just kept going, damn, what a good shot. But I think the first time I said it out loud was when Indy walks up to the idol And he's like kind of positioning himself. And then the camera like Dolly zooms in as he like leans forward and he like rubs his fingers down his chin. I'm like, that is just such a good shot as he's just getting closer to the idol and we're getting closer to him. And one of the other times, I think my favorite shot in the movie is when he falls into the well of souls. And he's face to face with the Viper. And it's just the back shot of the Viper. And you can't really... It's like centered in Harrison Ford's face. And you just see his eyes and his forehead. And so all you have are his eyes to see the fear of facing the snake. That to me is like the shot of the movie. Like if you put just that on a poster and nothing else, you would know it was Raiders. Right, right. And you know, it's funny is that so many of these shots are
2: just masterful and Steven Spielberg was you know a golden boy in Hollywood because of jaws and close encounters also though he had kind of hurt his reputation a little bit by going over budget and over schedule with some of his movies uh 1941 was the one that preceded raiders and that that was also a bomb but they were moving fast on this schedule. They shot it in 73 days, I believe. I think somewhere around there. They were ahead of schedule. They were under budget. And that really wasn't Spielberg's work ethic. He liked to get multiple, multiple takes until he absolutely loved what he was seeing. And he just didn't have that luxury on this movie. He wanted to kind of save face and save his reputation. So they were moving quick. And you're right, Matt. Like, as as you talk about some of these shots, it's like, Damn, like could he have done better? Would another 6 takes have right. helped maybe?
1: But like it's kind of hard to imagine an improved version of a lot of this stuff. Right. How do, how do you get better than like that scene where they're they're digging and the sun is going down and it's just the silhouettes and he's taking off the cloth and he's putting his fedora on and you're just sort of like, and there's Indiana Jones. And that's all you need to know to identify him. He's the one in the fedora. Like that shot is perfection. A hundred percent agree. I have one question about that scene though. And this is something that always
2: bothered me, even back when I was a kid. What was his plan What was Indiana Jones' plan? He has found the real well of souls. The Nazis are looking in the wrong place. But they're right there. Like He is right in the middle of a camp of Nazis. So he's going to go and get the Ark and then... What he's gonna do exactly?
0: What he's been doing for a couple days? Uh, you can notice that uh, he's walking around in plain sight. You know, these are Nazis. These are racist Nazis who just see any of these people as random Arabs. I think he would. Have, he could have just walked right past them i think they could put on a camel he probably would have made some diversion if he actually like rode him out with uh
1: with a truck or a camel or something i think you're right because you know belloc is the one who sees him exactly like the nazis were too stupid yeah i think you're 100 percent right he just could have walked right out of there with the ark of the covenant they did put it in a
0: box I mean, it probably would have been with like Salah or something. My guess is right. Salah would have led it with you know in a wheelbarrow. He would have like put apples on top of it or something. You know, he would have talked his way through the way that Salah talks. That that's a uh, uh, James Rice Davies uh, character. I probably mispronounced his name. I did mispronounce his name, right?
2: Well, you said James. It's John. So, yes, you definitely Yes, I'm definitely Sorry, I <laughs> uh, misspoke, of course.
0: Uh, John Rice davies uh, My favorite character of his uh, will always be Professor Arturo from the uh, uh, short-lived from Sliders? Uh, series Sliders. Yes.
2: You like the guy from Sliders more than the guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade?
0: The first two seasons of that show, I stand by. They were absolutely wonderful. We could talk about that another time. And yes, I stand (laughs) by Arturo. He was wonderful.
2: I don't remember that show well enough to argue that... I know that show went off the rails eventually. I don't remember the first two seasons being great, but if you say so.
0: Yeah, it went to Sci-Fi Channel, and that went completely bonkers. Actually, when uh, John Rhys-Davies left, it actually completely went to shit. You know, there's one part where I didn't understand his plan uh, in another part of the uh, movie, and that is when the Nazis, uh, they wind up uh, taking the Ark, and they capture Marion, and then... Indiana Jones, like, he swims to their submarine, and it's not quite clear what he does here. I guess what must have happened is the uh, submarine just kind of sailed just below the surface, and he held onto the periscope or something. But was that his
1: plan, just to hope that he didn't drown instantly? They answer all of that wonderfully earlier in the movie, where, you know, he has to go after the Ark, and then Saul's like, what are you going to do? And he goes... I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Right, right. Okay. It's like, right. so what was he going to do? He didn't know.
2: <laughs> with the submarine specifically, there was a deleted scene with Indiana Jones holding on to the periscope and he's just like clinging to it. And that's how he's able to be with the sub and not discovered apparently Spielberg cut that scene because it looked kind of silly with just him hanging on to the periscope. And you could sort of imagine that. I I saw a picture of it where you can kind of see him just like hugging it and even just the, the still photo. It does look a little silly. I honestly didn't realize that that was a thing. But that question that you just asked, James, is a thing people have debated. I always just assumed that he was in the submarine, that he crawled inside and hid somewhere and then i was reading that like no that's impossible those u-boats were tiny there would be nowhere to hide as opposed to you know on the pirate ship where you know they were first where there would have been plenty of spaces for him to hide uh it never really bothered me too much but uh, it's just you know it's a little plot hole there was one other thing that confused me when i was a kid and i watched this movie and that was when Indy and Marion escape from the well of souls and they're at like the airfield. Then there's that famous fight with the big burly guy, but they bust out through the well of souls. And then there's this other chamber with all the dead bodies. And it's just like next to an airfield, like from the airfield, you can see this structure that is what, you know, Indy kind of like kicks the stone out of and then they crawl out of it. It's like, Did the Nazis not think to investigate what that structure was?
1: Like no one bothered to look in there? I just always thought that was like weird. When he's figured out where the Well of Souls is and he's looking around through the scope, you see the other stuff they've uncovered. You see like pillars that they've unearthed. And I look at it as it's two things. One, they unearthed that one section near the airfield probably recently. Even if they did look in there all they would have seen was like a dead end to a wall that they don't necessarily know if it goes anywhere. And then the other part is when we first get to Cairo and see Belloc talking with like that Nazi officer, the officer is like, you just picked our men up and moved us. It's because they think they have the right location now. So maybe they were close, but Belloc moved all the diggers.
2: Uh Uh-huh. That's a good point. Okay. I'll buy that. And I think also – You're not supposed to really think about that too much just because then it goes into that amazing fight scene with the bald guy on the tarmac. Great fight scene. It's believable even though that guy is so much bigger than Harrison Ford. Like you can believe that he might be able to kind of hold his own in a fight against that guy. And you know who the, uh, the pilot is in that airplane. No. No, who's that? that is the producer of the movie um marshall uh frank marshall oh nice the story is is that when they were filming there was dysentery going around and everyone got horrible horrible food poisoning they're in egypt it was 120 130 degrees everyone was miserable they were running low on stunt people and so lucas or spielberg Just said, hey, uh, Marshall, you go in here. You're going to be the pilot. And he's like, I don't want to. I am (laughs) the producer. No, thank you. But they kind of like bullied him into it. And it was terrible because he was stuck in a cockpit in this 130 degree heat where it's extra hot. And then Karen Allen hits him on the head with these uh, blocks that are supposed to be holding the plane there. So it was not really a a great gig for uh, Frank Marshall. Can you actually uh, help me fix the one scene
0: in this film that I actually dislike and I, I, it always bothered me? It appears that Marion, who has been hiding for the Nazis and she hides in this basket, it appears that they put that basket onto a truck, which then explodes. And that's what I referenced earlier that, uh, you know, and he's all distraught and he's drowning his sorrows in a bottle of alcohol. But then we find out later, nope, it wasn't. And kind of a deus ex machina, Indy was like, oh, it must have been another truck. Was there some kind of decoy or did the Nazis actually trick him? Uh, What happened there? Or was it just kind of like, eh, stop thinking about it? Because
1: it always did bother me that they really showed what looked like Marion dying. I think it's one part they tricked us, but don't think too much about it. And then there's the part just before... He shoots the driver and the truck explodes because what we see is a basket getting put on the truck and then Indy all of a sudden gets like all these like people are like begging him for money. That part doesn't play unless you look at it as and that's what distracted him from seeing the baskets get switched. We don't see it. He doesn't see it. That's a good point. There really is no use for that scene. Right. So he throws some chains. He gets them to go away. Then he jumps out. He shoots the driver. The truck falls over. It explodes. Maybe in that moment is when the switch happened. Huh. See, my question was, was the
2: switch deliberate to trick Indiana Jones? Like, does Belloc want Indy to think that she's dead or is that not really his plan? He just wants her because he likes her and, you know, he wants to get some information out of her or whatever, but like... I wasn't sure if it was just
1: happenstance of now Indy thinks she's dead or was that part of the plan? I think it was part of the plan because right after that, he meets with Belloc and Belloc pretty much says, like, you got the girl killed. And he needs Indy to think she's dead so that he can question her and not have Indy look for her. He needs his time to interrogate her. Okay.
2: Yeah. All right. I'll buy that. That absolutely works. And I think I may have mentioned this in some other episode along the way, but it does kind of bother me in general when a bad guy in a movie says out loud that he is just like (laughs) the good guy in the movie, only a shadowy reflection. It always, always pisses me off. With this one exception. It's okay in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And not okay in every other movie. In my personal opinion. I think because I probably saw this movie before I saw that same thing happen in every other movie. So in my book this is the first time that it happened. I'm totally sure that's not the case. And I'm sure it happened in many other movies that came before this chronologically. But Belloc saying it is okay, and I think also it probably helps, let's be honest, because he has a French accent. Everything (laughs) sounds better in a French accent.
0: Well, I I do want to talk about one more scene, and that's the uh, climax of the film, the penultimate scene, and that's the arc opening. The Nazis, uh, they go to this island in the Mediterranean. There's this one line where he's like, I really don't like that you're doing this Jewish ceremony. But the special effects in this scene, I I mean, it was done by Industrial Light and Magic. It's amazing how good it is. I mean, they didn't go too far with some stuff. Like, I think the spirits that seem to come out of the arc, you know, most of it is uh, the dry ice cloud stuff. But then there's a couple, you know, Ghostbusters type uh, little spirits. You don't get
1: too many details of it. I think that's good that they didn't try too hard with that. Oh, that, that scene is absolutely glorious. I know some people call it a cop-out, and I'm like, no, it's. there's a lot of things that build up to that. It's not just the scene happens. Like, Marion, when she first pulls out the medallion, a slight breeze passes through her bar. When they read what's on the medallion for the first time, a stronger breeze passes through the house. When they open up the Well of Souls, a storm hits. When the Ark is by itself in the the crate, it burns away the Nazi logo. The movie is telling you right from the start, some kind of higher power is involved. And they're getting too close to what they can't control. And so by the time we get there, it's out of their control. And it wipes them all out. And I love it. Yet,
2: God is telling Indiana Jones stop. to stop repeatedly. It is a constant theme of this movie. God is telling Indiana Jones to stop. He doesn't, he continues his pursuit, as do the Nazis. It's not a cop-out. It's not a deus ex machina. It's been said from the very beginning, Brody, Indiana's friend at the university, is telling him death has always surrounded it, and Indy doesn't believe it. He says, you know, it's the boogeyman, it's not real. And then when he's there, all of a sudden, he does find his faith. He does believe it. That is his, his journey. He says, shut your eyes, and he is right to do so. Uh, To your point, James, about the special effects, I think it looks very good. You can look at it and say, eh, they would have done that better today, but it doesn't look terrible. It looks very good, you know? It's scary enough, and the dude's face melting, like the boulder, it's iconic. That is just a thing that haunted dreams back in the 80s. It still looks terrifying, and you can't prove I mean, I guess you could, but please don't. You can't prove that's not what it looks like when someone's face melts off. (laughs) I
0: actually saw behind the scenes of how they did that shot. It's amazing. Uh, The ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, they made a a pretty perfect, you know, Madame Tussauds type uh, copy of the actor's face. It was actually gelatin, and then they basically had this huge fan, and they had a st- you know they had a camera that took like one picture a second, and they just let it melt over the course of like you know ninety minutes or something. And the uh, the guy that was imploded, uh, they had like some kind of vacuum suction, and they like sucked in like a, a thing of his head. And Belloc's head exploding is it looks a little janky because originally Indiana Jones was. Rated R and Bellac's head exploding was specifically cited that it was a little too scary. So they superimposed like this fire coming up uh, on him. And that that's why it's like that. It, it wasn't supposed to be like that. So that's actually one of the only shots of, of that part that I don't really love
2: apparently in the original script all it said was they open the ark and all hell breaks loose and so that was not very helpful when they were trying to plan out the scene and storyboard it and figure out what they were actually going to do the woman who is like an apparition who seems like a nice smiley friendly ghost who then turns into a you know skeleton face apparently that was a receptionist that worked for Lucasfilm Mm -hmm. that they kind of just like pulled her in and were like, hey, wear this like white dress and we're going to make you look cool and scary.
0: You know, this is also based on a real line in the Bible that they reference that when the Ark was opened, it did like kill all the Israelites that saw it. You know, they're taking some licenses, but uh, it's all, you know,
2: from the source a little bit. As a Jew, I really kind of like this stuff. Because in a not super subtle way, the movie is kind of saying, yes, Judaism is right. You know, like (laughs) in subsequent movies in this series, they would say that other religions are right too, uh, or, you know, have real powers as well. But, you know, when you just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, this movie directed by Steven Spielberg, famous Jew, is saying, yeah... The Jewish religion is real. The Jewish God is real. These powers are real. And the Nazis who were trying to eradicate the Jews from the planet, they suffered the wrath of the Jewish God by, you know, messing with this thing that they had absolutely no right to touch.
0: Well, I want to talk about one other theory that's uh, kind of in the popular uh, zeitgeist. Um, I call it the, the Big Bang Theory, because that's what I've heard it from. I wanted to talk about this, so I'm glad you're bringing it up. Well, there's an episode where Mind character watches the uh, Raiders, and they're excited uh, for her to see it. But what she says, and people quote this a lot, is that she says, the thing I really didn't like about this film is that Indiana Jones has absolutely no effect on the outcome of the film. You've heard this theory right Matt
1: oh yeah and the thing is it's wrong absolutely and I I can prove it wrong so yeah the, the idea is that yeah Indy has no impact on the overall story because if he's there they find the ark the way they do the Nazis open it they die if he's not there she says that the Nazis get the medallion they don't dig in the wrong place they find the ark they still open it they still die she's wrong because the Nazis would have never found the medallion without Indy The movie specifically shows that when Indy gets on the plane to go find Marion, Tot is trailing him. They have no leads on Abner Ravenwood. My theory is they put his name in a communication knowing the Americans would intercept it, knowing that they would go and tell Abner Ravenwood's now famous student and former friend about it, And that he would then go and try to find Abner because no one knows where the guy is. Even Indy didn't know he was dead. His lead is not to go find Abner. His lead is to go find Marion, who there's no reason to think that the Nazis know who she is. Because if they did, they would have gone and found her themselves. They trail Indy. He leads them to her. Without Indy, that never happens. They never find the medallion. And maybe they find the Ark. Maybe they dig up enough of Cairo that they stumble across it. But we can't know that for sure. Everything you just
2: said, Matt, is right. You are spot on. I think even if you were to put that aside and say, no, 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 no. The Nazis still would have found Marion and they still would have gotten the staff of uh the headpiece to the staff of Rod and everything else. Okay, Fine. You still need Indiana Jones in this story because without it, yeah, the Nazis who open up the Ark, they all die and explode and implode and their faces melt off. But then what happens to the Ark? Right. It's sitting there on an island. It's fair to assume that one of those Nazis would have radioed ahead and said, hey, you know this thing that Hitler really, really wants? We're on our way. We're stopping at an island to just check it out. We'll be there in a week. The Nazis would come looking for it. Or, if you don't believe that and say, no, no, they wouldn't have radioed ahead, fine, someone else would have come to this island and found the Ark, and then there would have been chaos and destruction and death. Death always surrounds it. You can say that it's a bad thing that this Ark ends up in a crate and, you know, in in a warehouse somewhere, also, though, maybe that's for the best because it's not killing people and faces aren't melting. That's a good thing. Like, indie has done the world a service by taking this thing out out of play. Oh, I love the final shot of this film. The arc is lost so again. Good. It's
0: absolutely lost and they will make a reference to the fact that it's completely lost in uh in the fourth film, uh, Crystal Skull. The guy who nails it shut, he has no idea what he's even closing and it just gets lost in a warehouse. It's on paper
1: and probably
0: get the paper gets burned somewhere and uh, you know, that's it.
1: My my favorite thing about this warehouse is it just straight up says the United States government is sitting on tens of thousands of the most powerful things on the planet, and even the U.S. government is like, that's too big for us. Hide them. <laughs> right. There's some quote that uh, I think
2: it was Lucas, uh, maybe it was Spielberg, one of them said that like the real winner in the movie is the bureaucrats, and that that was kind of meant as like a you know, a sick joke, kind of. But I think it's also fair to say that, yeah, that's probably safest. All right, well, Matt, let me ask you as our special guest,
1: do you think Raiders of the Lost Ark stands the test of time? This movie is funny. I think because, you know, I said, like, I I don't remember first seeing this movie. I almost want to know what I would think about this movie if I saw it for the first time today and didn't have all this history with it. Because on paper... Indiana Jones, the character, shouldn't work. Like, when you really break him down, like, just from his outfit to who he is, like, he is not your typical kind of action hero, then or now. And especially now, like, all of our action heroes are like, they're spies, they're assassins, they're ex special forces. Everybody is some kind of well trained badass. This guy's an archaeology professor. There is a scene in this movie where he's like, holding this big book and his briefcase and he's got like 10 rolled up maps and he's like struggling to hold everything and he's trying (laughs) to like follow Marcus down the hall and he's like, why do these guys want to talk to me? I don't want to talk to them. Henry Jones is a nerd. He is a (laughs) super nerd who regardless of where he goes on the planet, wears brown shoes, tan pants, a tan shirt, a leather jacket, and a fedora. And it makes no (laughs) sense if he's in... The humid jungle, the arid desert, or the frigid wasteland of Nepal. He's wearing the exact same outfit. It makes no sense. The outfit is ridiculous. But when you put it all together and Harrison Ford is the guy wearing it, it's perfect. And it absolutely stands the test of time. And it will forever. This movie will be studied and will influence people forever.
2: Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Uh, James, what do you think? Do you think Raiders stands the test of time?
0: Uh, I think you have the perfect uh, trinity of uh, Spielberg, uh, just perfect in his uh, the directing at this point. You have Lucas, who had the idea for this. Uh, you have Harrison Ford, who—there's there's better actors than Harrison Ford, but he's the best actor for this role. Um, everyone else in the film, uh, John Rhys-Davies and Karen Allen, and they're great. Everything lands so perfectly— and uh, yeah, absolutely, this film stands the test of time. The one thing I am wondering, though, and uh, maybe we'll find out by the uh, third in this trilogy, but as a child, I remember thinking that Last Crusade was actually my favorite. I haven't seen these in, uh, you know, it's been a number of years. And uh, so we'll find that out. But I'm most excited to find out, Alan, if you think that 1981's Rays of the Lost Ark, if it stands
2: the test of time.
0: So, I
2: have a really hot take. All right, guys? Get ready. Oh, yeah. Sit Uh, down. I'm ready. Buckle up. Okay, Matt, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Raiders of the Lost Ark is a really great movie. There. (laughs) I said it. All right? (laughs) You can can come after me in the comments. All right? It's okay. Uh, Yeah, of course this movie stands the test of time. This is a hugely influential movie. This changed what action movies were. This changed what adventure movies were. There were countless knockoffs. There still are. There are still movies that are being made that are like, eh, this kind of seems like an Indiana Jones-style movie. George Lucas had this obsession with cereals, not the breakfast food, but, you know, like the, the shorts that you would see in movies in the... 30s, 40s, 50s. He really believed in that kind of storytelling. That's what he did with Star Wars. Star Wars is inspired by that kind of storytelling and a lot of other things, Japanese uh, films. But like, you can say what you want about George Lucas. He was right about that. That sort of serialized storytelling could be done in feature films and people would love it. And he has created... These characters, you know, the characters in Star Wars, he created Indiana Smith, then Indiana Jones. But, like, these characters are amazing. They have stood the test of time. The fact that there's going to be a fifth movie now in 2023, no one was expecting that when this movie came out in 1981. Not even Spielberg or Lucas or, you know, no one would have dreamed that. Maybe, maybe they would have wanted it to be like a James Bond kind of thing. But even then, then it would have been more than five movies by now
0: no lucas said it was going to be a trilogy that's what he sold spielberg on
2: yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it was a it was a three-picture deal that he had uh, harrison ford sign. but yes everything about this movie stands the test of time it is iconic this is one of john williams best scores that's also probably not much of a hot take i could go on and on about all of the things i love about this movie i don't want to say it's perfect because it's not. There are little details that bug me. But yeah, this movie is such a great time. It's great watching it now. My kids loved it. I loved watching it in the theater. I will watch this movie again and again and again over the years. Yeah, of course it stands a test of time. What a stupid question we asked, Does Raiders of the Lost Ark stand a test of time? Of course. Shut up, Alan. Of course it does. How dare I even ask such a thing? But Matt... Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about this movie. You're a fantastic guest in general, but you clearly love Indiana Jones. You clearly love Raiders and uh I'm I'm so glad that you joined us.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah. Any excuse to rewatch this movie and discuss this movie. Yeah. I'll take it every time. I didn't really have to twist your arm too much to get you to come on. No. And you know what? Like like James Last Crusade is my favorite Indiana Jones movie as well, but I objectively believe raiders is the best one that's fair i think it's sort of
2: considered to be the best i think uh, spielberg says that there are things he would change about the other indiana jones movies but not this one raiders is his favorite he says there's absolutely nothing he could touch if he get if he had a time machine and he could go back and do it all again he wouldn't change a thing that's a pretty high compliment you know in general but especially from steven spielberg but thank you again, Matt. We'll have to have you back on the show some point to talk about a good movie or a bad movie. <laughs> See what I did there? Bad joke. I have one.
1: Oh, you have one? I have one. I think this is why I'm doing two podcasts now. My mind doesn't stop. I, I actually have ADHD and I don't take anything for it. So I'm always thinking. Um, Love it. But I know that you guys are both baseball fans. Mm-hmm. Um, True. And I noticed that you've done a lot of baseball movies. You've done a lot of baseball movies I love. But there's one in particular you haven't done. And next year it's turning 40. And I know you like a good milestone. Oh, you're speaking my language, Matt. What's the movie? The Natural. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. When I when I picked the other two movies, I was like, Well, those movies are movies that I really care about. I don't know which way they're gonna go on does it or doesn't it. I knew this one was gonna be like absolutely we're all gonna say it stands the test of time. But the natural is one of those movies that I'm like, it's kind of boring for a lot of people, and anybody could go either way on this movie. So I think that could be a fun conversation. You got it. You're on the list. You have official dibs on the natural,
2: Matt. Excellent. All yours. So we will see you then uh, to talk about that. Maybe before we'll see how it goes. Thank you again, Matt and everyone. I hope you tune in next week for our episode about Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. I'm very excited to talk about that movie. He tries to rip Indy's heart out. I mean, come on <laughs> monkey brain. I mean, everything about that movie is fun. I'm really looking forward to watching that movie and I hope you come back to listen to that episode and in the meantime, I hope you write to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tell us your Indiana Jones stories. What do you remember about seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time or the tenth time or the fiftieth time? Doesn't matter. We love hearing from you guys and also, don't forget to subscribe to Good Movie, Bad Movie and Season 14, Time for a Podcast, Match 2 Podcast. We will see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.